Hey, David. Hey, what do you want to talk about? What do you want to talk about? You're executive director. I'm only policy director, so you decide. I thought we would do um, a line-by-line -line examination of the 5,000-word manifesto by the ZOA. <laughs> I not be yes, I'm down. Do you, have, do you have 17 hours? No, maybe, maybe we shouldn't do that. Maybe. Actually, Bradley Burston sort of did that for us in Haaretz, I noticed this morning. Oh, did he? I haven't read it. You should check it out, yeah. Right. He, he sort of, he did, he did the line-by-line -line examination. Do you know do you know the uh, the Wagner the Wagner Ring Cycle operas where people go to the three performances that are each like you know twelve hours each and it's like this whole marathon thing it takes a whole weekend we should we should do that as a as a podcast breaking down the ZOA statement. <laughs> okay, uh, no, I thought we should play uh, uh, Deal or No Deal. Uh, all of the talk about the Trump Ultimate Deal has returned to the conversation as really sort of. Uh, uh, actually returned to the news cycle in Israel because of an interview that Jared Kushner gave to Sky News and has brought this question of whether we're going to see the Trump ultimate deal uh, unveiled shortly after the April 9 elections. Uh, that's now, you know, hot on the minds of many uh, uh, Israeli political figures. So I thought we could we, we could talk a little bit about the ultimate deal. Make sense? Sounds good. Okay. So what are we talking about? I'm going to play this clip from Jared Kushner and uh, his uh, Sky News appearance. Let's, let's listen to it. The political plan, which is very detailed, is really about establishing borders and resolving final status issues. But in order to, uh, you, the goal of uh, resolving these borders is really to eliminate the borders. And so uh, if you can eliminate borders and have peace, uh, less fear of terror, you could have freer flow of goods, freer flow of people, and that will create a lot more opportunity. So, Michael, what is he talking about? <laughs> so what I like there is that in the span of, what was that, 20 seconds, he used the phrase, uh, the phrases establish borders, resolve borders, and eliminate borders, all within like two <laughs> sentences of each other. Right. So what's he talking about? Um, that's a great question. Perhaps he doesn't actually know what he's talking about. That's one option. But the likelier option to me sounds like one of two things. Either A, Kushner has bought into this self-constructed mythical narrative of his that the Trump administration you know, comes in and sees that what everybody has done before them has failed and that they need new ideas out of the box thinking because the old formulas won't work. And perhaps he is settling on something like a confederation, which is uh, what currently represents the sort of, uh, you know, nouveau out of the box thinking. So maybe that's what he has landed on, decided that the old formula is infeasible of two states for two people. And instead, they've been thinking about some sort of confederation to demonstrate that they are not thinking the way their predecessors thought. Or, and this one is probably more likely to me, when he talks about eliminating borders, it is because the Trump administration does not intend to make Israel evacuate any settlements. And as a result, when he says no borders, he means that the Palestinian entity, whatever it is, a state, an autonomous region, what have you, um, 
it is going to have Israeli settlements all over the place, which are going to be these extraterritorial pockets. And so you simply can't have a traditional border if you have hundreds of Israeli communities inside the state of Palestine or inside the entity of Palestine as sovereign Israeli territory. That's that's my guess about what he actually means. But considering that they've kept this whole thing so close to the vest and no confirmable details have leaked and even in you know small groups, they really don't tell anybody what's in it and they apparently haven't told European allies what's in it and uh, he's not unveiling any details on his current trip to the Middle East. Uh, there's really no way of knowing what he means, but it's it, it, it's bizarre. It's one of the most bizarre clips I have heard come from anybody associated with the White House Israeli-Palestinian team since they've started this. I want to unpack, Michael, a little bit about the conventional wisdom that's being talked about now, uh, that uh, this sort of conventional wisdom that's emerged that the plan will be offered after the April 9 election. Um, you know, the, the Israeli political scene has been sort of uh, reacting to this interview. Um, Meretz and the Jewish Home Party, I guess, this morning uh, called on the Trump administration to announce their peace plan before elections so that it could be part of the uh, election discourse. But there's sort of this conventional wisdom that it's going to be utilized by Netanyahu in the immediate aftermath of the April 9 election to form a more centrist coalition. So, number one, I, I want to hear what you think of that analysis. Um, and then I want to hear your argument as to why you think there may never be a deal, because I would argue that we're definitely going to see this deal. So so first of all, what do you think? After April 9, are we going to see the Trump initiative? I'm highly skeptical, <laughs> as you know. So uh, I'll, I'll give my view, then you can, you can bat me down. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this conventional wisdom that he is going to use a deal to form a government and become king of the center or whatever whatever phrase it is that people like to use, I don't really buy it for a few reasons. First of all, we've never really seen this type of behavior from Netanyahu. He's been in power now for a decade this time around. And, you know, he had a previous go around of, of three years as prime minister. And he never sought to build this mythical centrist coalition that would allow him to engage on any type of peace deal. And that, by the way, was when he had uh, Democratic presidents in the U.S. who were all actively pushing peace proposals. Yeah. So the idea that all of a sudden at this point he's going to shift course uh, for, away from what his natural instincts are, I don't buy. Second, the biggest outside variable here is these investigations. And, you know, there are rumors flying around today that the indictments or the announcement of indictments will come this week and possibly even tomorrow um, uh, that uh, Attorney General Mendelblit is just waiting for Netanyahu to uh, to finish his trip to Moscow before he announces it. Um, but whenever whenever those indictments come down, it's going to be critical for Netanyahu to keep his coalition partners and you know his his political partners behind him supporting him to stay as prime minister. And if the Otsmanyahu deep fiasco from last week demonstrates anything, it's that Netanyahu really only has one overriding concern above all else, and that is remaining prime minister. And there's no reason for a more centrist coalition to support him as prime minister to carry out a peace deal because they don't need him to do that. If Gantz and Lapid want to engage on a Trump peace initiative, they don't need Netanyahu there to do it. They can they can do it on their own. So they don't need to be supporting him in order for it to happen. 
And the folks who would be his support are all the ones on the farther right who are adamant against a peace deal. You know, Naftali Bennett wants a peace deal released before the election so that people can see what's in it so that he can cannibalize votes from Netanyahu and Likud. It's not so that Israel can engage with it. It's so that he can win votes running running against it and then do everything he can to prevent it from happening once he is in the government. So, you know, that side of the political spectrum isn't going to give Netanyahu support for staying in office if he's indicted, if they think he's going to engage on the peace deal. So I think the Netanyahu's political incentives um, go the opposite way. I think it's to try and prevent having to be put in this box and having a peace deal ever be released. And, um, you know, when he's here for APAC conference next month and he meets with Trump, my guess is that he's going to spend the bulk of his time with Trump trying to postpone the release of this thing and convince Trump that perhaps it's not a great idea to release it now. And, you know, the farther along that he can get it postponed, the higher the chances are that it never sees the light of day. And it's not just about Netanyahu. I think that um, members of Trump's own team, uh, you know, are, are divided. It, it seems pretty clear from public comments that Kushner and Greenblatt want this thing out there. Uh, and I think it also seems pretty clear from public comments that David Friedman is far more skeptical. And I think that has to be taken into consideration as well. And as for Trump himself, who the hell knows what he wants? <laughs> um, but I just I just think there's so many incentives here for it not to not to be released that I, I, I'm not sure we're ever, that it's ever going to see the light of day. Right. So I, I hear you. But then it raises the question, what is Kushner doing in the Middle East right now? Right. Certainly they know all of these political constraints on Netanyahu and certainly um, you know, we have for quite some time now been uh, under the assumption that the coordination between Netanyahu and the Trump administration is 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 uh, is incredibly uh, close, incredibly deep. You're suggesting there's a split. I'm not sure there is such a split, but I I, I question why we're suddenly hearing talk of a peace deal in the middle of an Israeli election when it doesn't, uh, to your point, exactly uh, help Netanyahu politically. Um, that they'd be doing this right now. It raises the question, what is Kushner doing? I think it's because Kushner wants it out there, but that doesn't mean it's going to yeah. that it's going to be released, right? I mean, listen, this is not the first time that Kushner and Greenblatt have traveled around the region uh, in an effort to gin up support for a peace deal, right? They, they did this, they did this uh, I think the last time was over the summer as well, and reportedly got shot down in every single Arab capital that they visited. But then too, it was portrayed as, they are visiting the region to lay the ground for the imminent release of a peace deal. Uh, of course, it was right after they had uh, announced that they were seizing all aid to the Palestinian Authority. So going around raising money from Arab states to uh, give money to the Palestinians or to support a peace deal, uh, I think, was a, a fool's errand given what they had just announced. Now, what's interesting is where Kushner is going, right? He's not going on this trip to Egypt or Jordan, which are arguably the two countries whose buy-in would be most important given that they are geographically the closest to Israel and the Palestinians, but also the ones who are most affected by changes on the ground. He and Greenblatt aren't going there. They're going to the wealthy states, again, in a bid to raise money for support for this peace deal. So, and I don't think they're going to find it. So, you know, in terms of, you know, what he's doing, all, all this says to me is that, um, the Trump team, which we've been skeptical about from the outset, 
still doesn't have a good grasp on what they're doing and what needs to be done and what is realistic. But I don't doubt that Kushner wants the wants the peace plan released. He probably wanted it released a year ago or, or two years ago, but that doesn't mean it's going to happen. So my question then is, assuming Netanyahu comes over and you're correct and he convinces the Trump administration to delay, um, so it's delayed yet again, and then we get into the presidential election season. Are you arguing that we're never going to see the Trump plan? Because I would argue otherwise. Yes, that is what I'm arguing. I'm arguing that if I had to place a bet today, we are never going to see the Trump plan. All right. And I would argue that the benefit for Trump to ultimately release a plan uh, is too great. Uh, number one, it's it's it fits the narrative, right, of, of his ultimate deal. He has talked about this far too much to not put something out there um, that would not, of course, I don't envision this actually being accepted uh, really by either party, but what he can do um, is not only beneficial for BB, but it's beneficial for his base and for major Republican funders who can, Trump is now in a position to fundamentally change the nature of the conversation about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. By advancing a plan that is completely different than anything before it that resembles nothing like the Clinton parameters, but that sets a new uh, stage for something that could be called the Trump parameters. Um, the benefit for him doing so is too great. Number one, he can be celebrated, but not only by the Israeli right uh, in the short term, but celebrated in the long term as the great uh, hero. Not only did he move the embassy to Jerusalem, but he has stated uh, as an American policy that the settlements, for example, do not need to be uh, removed. That will have lasting benefit for his uh, legacy, uh, not only when he is president, but far uh, far thereafter. And frankly, the by doing so, um, he'll you know if if it is what we assume, which is a deal that is not at all viable, but on paper is completely skewed towards um, benefiting. The, uh, the Israeli position uh, on all fronts, it's something that will not only be welcomed by the Likud and the Israeli right, um, but it, it it's hard for me to believe that we could see a, a Trump parameters moving forward, again, that looks nothing like two state proposals of the past, um, but it's hard for me to imagine like even labor uh, or centrist Israelis coming out and saying uh, to the Americans, I'm sorry, we can't accept this great offer of a peace deal because it doesn't offer the Palestinians enough and therefore is not viable. Um, I could only imagine that it will be celebrated as the new goalpost. The goalpost will be changed, that it'll be the new standard on which we discuss the concept of two states, um, that it will effectively uh, change the nature of the terms of what we're discussing and doing so in a way that could be, I believe, very damaging because frankly it would not be viable um, but it would become the new uh, uh, basis of political discourse, not only on the Israeli right, but potentially on the Israeli center. Now, when I think of people like David Friedman, the Israeli, uh, the American ambassador uh, to Israel, and I think of um, so many of the ideologues surrounding the Trump administration, you they now have an opportunity to fundamentally change the nature of the conversation of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. The notion that they would miss that opportunity that they would not put any markers uh, in the ground um, in in their favor to me is is it 
if, if, I would think it would be a dra uh, an enormous missed opportunity, which frankly is why we see the Israeli right uh, seeking to advance things like Israeli annexation and deepen the settlements and so forth and promoting ideas that were once ludicrous because they see the Trump administration uh, as an opportunity uh, to advance these ideas. And it's hard for me to believe that the Trump administration will end its uh, term in office um, uh, uh, not having put a real marker in the sand that would benefit um, uh, and, and, uh, 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 the, the sort of ideologues uh, that surround them. I think you are living in a dreamland. So, first of all, Great. all right. the Trump administration has put has put multiple markers down that are gifts to the Israeli right. What, what do you think moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem was? What do you think uh, eliminating all aid to the Palestinians was? What do you think uh, rhetorically challenging the definition of, of Palestinian refugees and, and hitting UNRWA consistently was? Those are those aren't markers. Nope. Putting 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 their marker down and, and leaving what they see as a lasting impact. They don't need a peace deal to do that. You think you think all of that is just is is irrelevant unless they they actually put out a peace deal. No, I think that none of that has to deal with the way in which we talk about final status terms and and. Of course it does. Of course it does. Every single time Trump says he took Jerusalem off the table, that's what he means. Uh huh. Sure. But that is an easily reversible uh, by a future uh, president administration. There's already, you know, talk about how a future uh, president could simply open up an embassy on the east, uh, eastern end of uh, of Jer Jerusalem for the Palestinians. But how would that be different? How is that any different from him releasing releasing a, a peace deal? I mean, in your telling, he releases a peace deal and it changes it changes the framework entirely. A future president can just release a different one. I'm not suggesting that the Trump administration has not put markers down that have been very beneficial to right-wing ideologues. I'm suggesting that why would they stop now? Uh, why would they stop short of ensuring, for example, the residents of Beit El, where David Friedman used to be uh, very actively involved in American Friends of Beit El, the settlement northeast of Ramallah, is he really going to leave his term in office not guaranteeing their long-term viability and long-term uh, you know, setting down their roots uh, why miss that opportunity to 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 deepen and guarantee that settlements will not have to be removed? For example, you're you're assuming you're assuming that um, what he wants is the exact same thing as what Trump wants and what Kushner wants and what Greenblatt wants. And I'm not sure that it is. I, I, I'm pretty certain that Friedman would probably go a lot farther than they would in terms of um, you know, enabling enabling expansion of settlements and, and that sort of stuff. But but hang on, I want to I want to go back to to some of some of the other points you made because you know you talk about support for this from the Israeli right and it being beneficial to Trump as a as a campaign matter. So you know, on the Israeli right, they are all in the last couple of days actively running against any type of peace plan being released. So I'm not sure where you are getting support for the idea that the Israeli right would would celebrate it no matter no matter what's in it. And second, from, from the American political perspective, there is no constituency for Trump to release this that supports him. I mean, you know, we, we can't lump all promises into the into the same basket. So moving the embassy to Jerusalem, that was enormously popular among his his base, particularly the evangelical base. And um, hitting the Palestinians also seems to be similarly popular, but because he's been talking about the ultimate deal for so long, doesn't make that something that his base wants to see. I, I don't think evangelicals here want to see any type of ultimate deal between Israelis and Palestinians. I don't think that 
the more right-wing elements of the Jewish community here want to see any type of deal between Israelis and Palestinians. No matter how one-sided this peace plan is, and, I, and I'm sure it's pretty one-sided, there's going to be something in there that is requires an Israeli concession that the Israeli government won't like and that uh, right-wing folks both here and there really won't like. And I don't just because he's been talking about the ultimate deal now since before he ran for president doesn't mean that that forcing any type of deal on on the Israeli government is going to benefit him in election season. I think the closer we get to the U.S. presidential election here, the less the chances are that he releases anything at all because of the electoral politics, which is why I don't think we're going to see it. Right. And you're you're assuming that the Israeli right will be opposed to some of the terms of the Trump initiative. And I'm su suggesting that the terms may be so overwhelmingly positive from the Israeli right perspective, you know, maybe not uh, the, you know, full annexation of the West Bank perspective, but in the perspective of, you know, the vast majority of, of Area C, uh, you, you know, certainly the settlements in Area C being able to, to stay. And again, fundamentally changing the nature of the Israeli-Palestinian discourse uh, is something that I do think um, those, on the, the, those on the ideological right uh, would certainly welcome. And I think you can't discount the fact that Trump has indeed set this out as something that he has repeatedly said that he wants to do. And he, you know, continually talks about, uh, you know, his uh, not only deal-making abilities, but uh, uh, setting out that, he, you know, he's, he's uh, upholding all of these various promises that he's made throughout the campaign. Um, I think that... The ultimate deal wasn't a campaign promise. Uh, it, was never, it was never pitched the same way as moving the embassy was or, you know, building a wall and making Mexico pay for it was. Right. He talked about it in a different, in a very different manner. Right, but the notion that Trump will do will do nothing from here on out, um, I think is I think is harder to believe. I think that ultimately um, he will need to put a marker down that will make it very clear that uh, the Israelis were prepared to engage and the Palestinians were not. Look, I definitely see the potential scenario in which nothing happens at all, but. Uh, I have a hard time imagining that, again, that they don't take the opportunity. Um, and I think you can't discount the influence of major funders. I mean, it may not be a campaign promise, but, um, you know, ensuring the viability future of Ariel as part of Israel is something that major funders like Sheldon Adelson will view very, very positively. And so I let me get this straight. You think you think that that if we had him in a, in a room right now and we said to Sheldon Adelson, would you like to see the president release his peace plan or not? You think he would say yes? Uh, uh, no, I, I think that he would say um, that before you leave office, um, your peace plan, you, you should put an American marker in the sand that ensures that the settlements will stay forever. Yes. Why not? Of course. Well, then in that case, that's that's supporting annexation. That's not that's not necessarily releasing a peace plan. Right. Well, I think the idea that this is really designed to be a peace plan is perhaps what we're debating then, because I don't actually believe that this is designed to be a peace plan. I believe this is designed to, again, fundamentally change the nature of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict in the way we're discussing it. Um, I agree. I think I think it's designed to be something that marginalizes the Palestinians to to a large extent. Um, it's why they all, you know, they even in that interview uh, the, the from that you played the clip from with Kushner. Right. Yeah. He talks a lot about economic peace, right? And that's we all we all know that that's sort of a coded right. code, coded phrase in Israeli-Palestinian conflict. We all we all know what that means. Yeah. Um, it means essentially getting around issues of Palestinian sovereignty and improving their economy and improving life in the West Bank and 
and and really minimizing minimizing the pain to is to uh, Israelis in terms of concessions. But there will still be concessions. I mean, if you talk about if you talk about you know promises and, and rhetoric, not only Trump but Kushner in this interview too, and Greenblatt repeatedly on Twitter, they all talk about the fact that any when when their deal gets released, it's going to involve concessions on both sides, and that each side is going to benefit more than uh, more than more than it loses, but that, that each side is going to have to make concessions. And I think that's the point right. that there's going to be something in there that uh, the Israelis don't like. Right. Um, right. And it all will be a matter of degree. So we're all going to find right. out. So um, my question, by the way, I don't mean to leave the impression that I think this is an impossibility. I mean, I, uh, as you point out, there, there are plenty, there are plenty of forces that are pushing for this to be released after an election. I just think that the, the the counterweight of the other forces, to me, points to a different conclusion. All right. So you know where this conversation needs to lead then. Um, so it needs to lead to uh, a bet, right? So I, <laughs> I saw that, uh, you know, I saw our friends on Twitter, Aaron Miller, uh, former uh, State Department advisor, and Dan Shapiro, the former ambassador, they bet a lunch on uh, whether the deal would be released or not. Um, I think we should get creative. And what, what are we betting on if there's a deal or, or no deal? What are we betting on? Huh? That's a that, that's a good question. I have to I have to think about this. Um, hmm. I was thinking. I'll I tell was, you what. I'll tell yeah. you what. Yeah. If if I win, then y- you have to watch at least fifty baseball games, major oh, league baseball games this season, uh, from beginning to end. Sit down and watch fifty games from beginning to end, and that's torture. <laughs> and if if you win, then I will watch. Well, uh, the equivalent, I guess, would be uh, about six or seven NFL games next season. I will. I will no, no, no. lift my Aaron, NFL ban, and I will watch six or seven NFL games next season. I, I have to say, I want you to watch Arizona Cardinals football games next season, and I okay. will. I will watch your Red Sox. I, the truth is, I, I just I just want you to watch baseball in general. It doesn't even have to be the Red Sox. Okay, fine. Uh, but but yes, I think that should be the bet. All right, you're on. Okay, my last two questions of the day. Uh, have you started writing the book? And what are you, <laughs> what are you, what are you writing about for tomorrow? I, I, I'm going to punt again on, on the question of whether I've started writing a book um, <laughs> and what I'm writing about for tomorrow. Uh, well, now that we've spent all this time talking, uh, talking about Trump and peace deals, um, I think I'll probably write something about uh, the way that Trump has now become an election issue in Israel and how Bibi has really box himself in by uh, by making Trump an election issue on his, you know, in his own right as a positive. But I think that in a lot of ways, Trump uh, in the last couple of days and his peace plan have turned into a negative. That's a problem for Bibi. So I, I think I'll, uh, I'll write about that. <laughs>